Hello and good evening everybody. Hopefully this episode comes in a timely manner uh, as it is the 24 hours before a deadline. Now this will be released as a series of recordings to look at the shot by shot of the Liverpool Watford game as well as the Brighton Norwich game primarily to see what weaknesses there are in the Watford and Norwich games because they were extremely bad against their opponents. Now, um, Liverpool versus Watford, just a quick narrative of based on the graphic detail presented by multiple websites. Liverpool-Watford was a game where Liverpool absolutely dominated the game and the shots were everywhere. They had big shots. They had big chances for their goals as uh, highlighted by their XG graph. Now, um, these XG graphs I'm using are based on the ones published by 12Football, which are the most accurate. So the graphics are on my Patreon, but at the moment, um, you can always go to the website or the 12Football app, which is free anyway. So right now, I'm not going to go through every single shot, but I'm going to note the patterns of play based on the multiple shots and I'm going to quote timings here but again the list of the shots commentaries are on my Patreon um, and they will be released for free perhaps in a couple of weeks time. Now on to the analysis itself. Right, for Liverpool what's important to highlight is that the XG graph states that they have they had multiple small chances, multiple chances of really, really small XG. And it was very back and forth before Liverpool's first goal. But after the goal, after they took the lead, there was a brief respite from Watford before they absolutely dominated the charts. Now, um, Liverpool's behaviour as such is a little bit atypical and it was because they relied on an atypical front three where... Mane did not start, so Salah played on the right, Jota played through the middle, and Firmino was in the side, but he didn't exactly play as the false nine position as you would usually expect. In fact, Firmino hung out largely on the left, and his runs were basically tri triggered based on Jota's runs. So, okay, on to the match itself. Now, um, in the early exchanges, Liverpool and Watford basically tried to implement, they tried to impose their plan A. And so you basically had this situation where Liverpool dominated most of the ball. They took their shots. But as soon as Watford got the ball back, they, you know, went and tried to hit Liverpool on the break too. A large percentage of Liverpool's shots were taken extremely early, whether it was through corners, whether it was from balls received between the lines by Diogo Jota, whether it was passes played by Curtis Jones, like from Thiago to Curtis Jones on the half-hour mark, they were all extremely early shots. As soon as they received the ball in promising positions, they did not, strangely, appear to try and look for teammates in better positions. Now, this all changed after Liverpool took the lead because when you're defending a 1-0 lead, you're depending on your opponent's mistakes to extend the lead. And this was a bit disappointing by Watford, actually, because Watford did not commit too many men forward, even though they were 1-0 down. Might be a practical thing anyway, but given their situation, I don't think they have a choice now. Now, what's interesting to see is that Diogo Jota 
even though he had the most shots throughout the game, he was the one that was actually making the movements back in the midfield, receiving the ball, picking them up in good positions. And Jota basically barely created chances for other people. Um, even when Mane came on and Mane played down the right side for Salah, it, the pattern of play was still largely the same. Um, what was also really good to see was that this front three relied on individual brilliances from the players themselves. So there were a lot of times where Liverpool players received the ball in the wide areas and they didn't wait for a fullback to make an overlapping run, especially the right flank where Salah did not have Trent Alexander-Arnold available. Instead, they just cut into midfield, like deep midfield, not into the box, but into deep midfield themselves and took shots from there. So Liverpool's shot map yeah, were largely central and outside the box for majority of the game. Okay, now we're at the 5 minute mark and I want to keep this part under 10 minutes so that it's really brief. So on Watford, what's interesting to see is that Watford themselves were really tame, especially after they conceded the first goal. And a lot of their play largely depended on very early and direct balls over the top. So, if you were to look at Ismailia Sa's chance early on, it basically was a microcosm of their general grand strategy. And the aim was to look for opportunities where the Liverpool defence did not reset in time. And they themselves took a lot of early shots, but it was usually after they, the players themselves ran like half the pitch into the box. So um, there was one particular chance in the second half that turned out really well. Um, and, you know, as I've highlighted weeks before, it's the same situation where Watford basically played a simple ball over the top. And this happened in the 57th minute. Yeah, just one simple chip over the top. Um, basically forced Liverpool to track back. And I'm surprised that Liverpool did not concede many more chances that way. Maybe it was because, like, despite the high line. So, chip ball over the top. And basically just a direct run into the box, followed by a cutback. And Joao Pedro had this really good chance in the penalty area itself. And I think the value of the XG of the shot was like 0.31. So it was a significant shot there. So for Watford, I would really like to state here that if you are looking to buy a forward for the double game week 37 or 36, you're looking at Watford needing to retool their counter-attacking strategy, at least against the big sides. Um, against smaller sides, we'll do a study later. But for now... Like, there's no point jumping on Watford attack early. But for Liverpool defence, wow, it is a good time to make an investment now because Liverpool have managed their game, especially after going 1-0 up, really, really well. Okay, so we're halfway through and I'm going to transition into the Brighton-Norwich game. Let's go. Alright, on to the Brighton-Norwich game. Now, if you were to look at Raw XG, this game looked fantastic because Brighton had one big chance, which I'm pretty sure everybody knows about, that missed penalty by Neil Mopai. And the accumulative XG came up to 2.30, which was pretty mind-blowing. 
in all honesty. And they limited Norwich to 0.60 XG themselves, which is kind of worrying, but exploitable for FPL. Now, um, Brighton's chances, okay. So a bit of context needed here because Brighton themselves are, <laughs> well, you know, we know how they behave, right? They dominate the ball, they have a lot of the ball in good spaces, and they just do not have a finisher right now. They've experimented with multiple setups, having Trossard with Mopai up front, and so depending on who they play up front, it trickles down to the rest of their squad because sometimes they play a 3-5-2 because they want to accommodate these two forwards. Sometimes they go 3-4-3, sometimes they go 3-4-1-2. And in this particular case, they went to 4 at the back, which I suspect is the lineup that they play when they are trying to dominate uh, smaller sides, lesser sides. So in this particular case, Mopai played alongside Danny Welbeck up front, and Trossard, instead of the usual centre-forward role, got demoted into attacking midfield. Okay, so as a result, the front three was extremely narrow, and the width dependent were dependent on the wing-backs, Tarek Lemty and Solimach. So, this setup, you know, I'm not going to try and help you guys visualise, but the point is that we saw a lot of patterns of play that involved the wing-backs as well as the, um, Leand the attacking midfielder Leandro Trossard making plays drifting into very unusual positions. Okay, having said that, if I were to comment on the XG graph itself, it's very similar to the Liverpool game, but we're just lacking big chances really. So it's the same thing where Brighton just dominate more chances, more chances, more chances. And once in a while, Norwich will have a long shot from distance. But it was really Brighton all the way, just failing to take the lead ever. Now, having said that, what we generally noticed across the game were, uh, was that Brighton relied on two different approaches, uh, but they were relatively consistent across the game, which sadly wasn't as attractive as what they did earlier in the, se earlier in the season where they had a lot of deep penetrative runs into the half spaces of the opposition box. Instead, nowadays, what they did was that they attempted to work possession of the flanks. So what happened is that there would be a throw-in and Leandro Trossard would drift into that area of the pitch where the throw-in was. So he would link them up, overload, and he would set up one of the wing-backs or he would switch play over to Tarek Lemty on the right side. So this particularly worked in the early stages, in the first 15 minutes, where Mopai received the ball between the lines quite a lot. If not, Lemty would receive the ball from the left side. So this created a lot of Brighton's early chances, as early as the 6th, the 7th, 20 minutes. Um, and if those options weren't open, then Alexis McAllister from midfield would basically drive forward and take shots from distance. Now, the thing about McAllister is that as a cheap player, he grows in confidence as the match moves on. So from deep midfield, he was taking shots from distance initially, and then he started getting braver. He started venturing into the box, and he had all these buccaneering runs that ended up on the edge of the penalty area, somewhere centrally near the top of the box. And it, that's good to see. I mean... <laughs> It just means that if somehow he goes on a scoring streak, it's likely to maintain until the end of the season. Okay, that aside, um, we also noticed that 
there were a lot of balls, long deep crosses that Pascal Grob played from the right side. And these were basically what new Maupai used to do. So uh, somewhere in mid-season, basically Tarek Lamptey and you know a lot of Trossard and a lot of the forwards, they overloaded the right flank and they relied on crosses from deep to set their forwards up. In this particular case, Grob is now advancing into that deep area for crosses where usually you'd see Tarek Lamptey or Neil Mopai drop into. And he created a number of chances, including Welbeck and McAllister's shot on 27. Mm. Yeah, and a couple of other chances in the second half. Now, this particular section actually should focus on uh, what Norwich are doing badly. And uh, two main observations. The first one being their individual duels. Like, there have been a lot of podcasts and websites that quote the weakness of Brighton, uh, the weakness of Norwich down the flanks, sorry. And a lot of it just comes down to the Norwich players just not being good enough in the sense that they get outrun by their opponents if they're beaten for pace. They aren't aggressive enough in their tackling, so they get hit on the turn. And honestly, a lot of tricky players especially turn their defenders inside out quite easily. Um, even if they're relative, their fullbacks with skills such as Kukurea. So in particular, what I want to highlight is the fact that Max Ahrens on the right side got doubled up against Kukurea and Trossard quite regularly. And what happened was that, number one, his winger didn't help him out. And number two, even if Kukurea took the ball himself, Max Ahrens wouldn't be able to cope with that run. Sometimes he would drop deep, Kukurea would play the ball inside for a shot. But if Max Ahrens tried to press up, he wasn't aggressive enough, and Kukurea basically, basically got a free run down the, right, uh, down the left flank. So... This is particularly worrying for Norwich because it's not an, a, a systemic issue that can be fixed overnight or, you know, at least in one game week. It's a player-based issue that you cannot fit, that you cannot fix until you retool your squad in the summer. So all the best, all the best to Norwich fans out there. But for now, it is something we will exploit. So as long as you see any individual matchups against Aaron's, although... Uh, Giannoulis is pretty good on the left. Um, yeah, we're likely to see Norwich's right flank being exposed. So if you're trying to pick a triple captain uh, against Norwich at home from, a man, from the Man United side, look for the Man United player that plays on the left flank, if not the fullback. So that's the grand plan. Hopefully I can come up with more recordings over the next couple of weeks. See you guys relatively soon.